Alright. Hi, this is Penny Fool. And this is Puppy Girl. We're back, and we're here to talk to you on Season 2 about history. Yay. Particularly history of kink and yes. polyamory. Yeah. I'm excited. Me too, me too. Um, so today we are going to focus on uh, an essay by Gail Rubin that's included in Leatherfolk, a collection of essays on kink. Uh, and the essay is called The Catacombs, A Temple of the Butthole. <laughs> and uh for me i was like I'm, i was excited that we were going to talk about this together because i we, really like anal play yeah <laughs> so i was yeah. like who better to talk about a temple of the butthole than like a temple butthole i am so honored to be the favorite hole you thought of yes uh, you are like one of a prolific and wonderful butthole yes so yeah like i'm excited to talk about this <laughs> In the history of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, that'll be great. Okay, so, yeah, the way we're going to do this is, like, I will read some parts of the um, the essay that we picked out, and then we'll talk about them and, like, relate them to stuff that we uh, have thought or experienced. Okay, sounds good. All right, sounds good. Um, okay, so tying it back. Let's go. Uh, the essay starts, When I first heard of the catacombs, the name conjured up images of the underground tombs of ancient Rome, where early Christians fled to escape state persecution and practice their illegal religion in as much privacy as they could. San Francisco's catacombs was a similar, similarly underground establishment where 20th century sexual heretics could practice their own rites and rituals in a situation that was insulated as much as possible from the curious and hostile. The catacombs played a distinctive role in the sexual history of San Francisco. As one of the world's capital cities of leather, San Francisco got off to a somewhat late start. The earliest gay male leather bars and motorcycle clubs appeared in the mid-50s in New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago. San Francisco's first dedicated leather bar, the Why Not, opened in 1958 in the Tenderloin neighborhood and closed soon thereafter. The first really successful local leather bar was a 60s place, the Toolbox. Located at 399 4th Street at Townsend, the Toolbox was also the first San Francisco leather bar located south of Market. San Francisco never had leather populations as large as those in bigger cities such as New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago, but a serendipitous combination of local factors, including traditions of sexual license and social tolerance, the demographics of city elections, and the singular economic and physical characteristics of certain neighborhoods, contributed to the emergence in San Francisco of one of the most extensive, diverse, and visible leather territories in the world. In the mid-60s, other leather bars followed the toolbox into the South of Market neighborhood. When several opened along a three-block strip on Folsom Street, they established a core area which anchored a burgeoning leather economy that continued to develop and expand in the 70s. While there were important institutions of the leather community in other neighborhoods, few were very far away, and South of Market functioned as a town square for the local leather population. Cool. All right, so I have a whole bunch of thoughts, actually, about this. Uh, we talked about some before and more like I thought of while I was reading. Um, but curious, kind of any in initial reactions, like thinking about this neighborhood and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I I would be curious to hear your thoughts first. I think, uh, I yeah, I might do a little bit better, like kind of going off yours. And then um, just got to get the like old noggin. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, we, got, we got our old <laughs> noggins going. Yeah, it's December. It's wintertime. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so one, one thing that this like was really interesting to me about is that when I first learned about leather and the leather community, one of the first things I found, heard about was the Folsom Street Fair, Folsom Street Festival. Mm -hmm. And I have not been to Folsom 
You haven't been to Folsom either. No, I haven't. Yeah, but I also, like, j- just have, like, saw a lot of images when I was first learning about the community. I was like, whoa, that'd be crazy to go to Folsom, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, what a time. Now I don't know how I feel about it, but I probably will at some point. But um, but it's funny because, like, it this just, like, historicizes that so well, right? Yeah. Like, where, like, really the core, you know, as, as like, Gilbertman points out, I think Gilbertman doesn't go by Gilbertman anymore. I think they, they go by something else now. What's the, the last name? Ruben. Oh, I think so, too, but yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I forgot what they yeah. are right now. Okay, I'll, I'll look it up while we're talking, but, um, yeah, like, this really historicizes that, where it's, like, there's a reason that the Folsom mm-hmm. Street Fair takes place in Folsom. It's because that's where the leather bars were that, yeah. like, started, like, really kicked off the community in San Francisco. Um, so, like, I was, like, oh, yeah, that makes, like, that's such a cool historization. I never really thought about that, but, like, probably obvious if you lived it, but I just, like, really hadn't thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's too bad, like, most of those bars aren't there anymore, but it's, like, yeah. uh, but it's, like, kind of cool that, like, that street in that area has retained that, like, level of, like, historical, like, prominence, like, where that would continue to be, like, where the street festival is. Right, you yeah. Know? Like, it's so cool when you read text, and I don't know if it's, like, this text or another that I read, like, there was just, like, something, like, of 20-something bars, like, all in one place at one time, um, and it was, like, this, like, this, like, leather, like neighborhood community that um folks could go to and really like experience um their you know their erotic fantasies and do what they want I think like Folsom Street Festival is one of those festivals that I like when I first started learning about kink learning about um and also like just learning about San Francisco leather um that's what I thought and like Folsom Street is just like that name that I just feel like in general that I associate so heavily with that era of um of you know leather and just like kink and it also just makes me think of um yeah like that you know it's interesting how New York you know you see you have like this really big history and you you know you have some well-known places you know like places where Mapleport went and then like also with Chicago but when I think about like leather and then kind of like there being this big um, community, I can't help but always think about, like, Folsom Street and what, like, uh, you know, south of the market, like, that area, you know, has been and, you know, not necessarily quite the same, but, like, still has, like, you know, a lot of historical value still there, so. No, it's so true, and it's, like, I, it's so funny because I, the first time I was in the neighborhood, I actually had no idea what leather was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, I'm not from the Bay Area. And the, my first time in the Bay was after I graduated from college, I like moved out there and was getting my first job out of college there. And um, for that, like I was uh, basically like an office assistant and I was helping look for an office for the company that I was working for. Mm-hmm. And it was like south of Market, which is that that like broader area that like Folsom is in in San Francisco. It was at the time and still is like a very big like being gentrified area because there are a lot of like old warehouse buildings there. Right. Which I think is partially probably what it made it like a like reasonable place to have bars that were for kink and leather back at the time because like it wasn't very expensive because in the 70s people didn't want to be hanging out where right. warehouses were and stuff yeah but now has made it super attractive real estate because you can build those like classic like you know converted wow. warehouse like lofts that p- people who are gentrifying love um and so it was really like wild that to me to like learn that later like oh this neighborhood where back in 2016 like you would pay over a hundred 
uh, like per square foot, which mm-hmm. is crazy um, in terms of rent prices. Like that was also where the leather scene was. It just shows like how like even like in one generation there could be such a change to like the economic situation, which like Ruben calls out um, as being like advantageous at the time now is like probably very hostile to kink being there, right? Think you some of the yeah. wealthiest people in the world now like hang out south of market. That's where Airbnb headquarters is and like Twitter headquarters is on market and it's like just like a lot of other stuff is there. So yeah, and it's yeah. it's so interesting you said that because it also makes me think of that time when we went to visit. Yeah. And so there's this very well-known bar that's still there, like Wicked Blooms, I believe. And we went, and the energy... Wait, like, was it a coffee shop or a It bar? was like a coffee shop, but if you go to, like... It's like you, it's like you could go to the other side, and then it's like a, a, the kink, like... Um, it's like at V, like where you can have classes. I think you oh, have right. classes. Yeah, yeah, I, I forgot the layout. I yeah. haven't like really experienced it. No, I got to. I got to. When we were there, like it was just interesting because, yeah, it was a queer space. It was a, a a place where I do feel like you know you could be kinky, you could be yourself, but it was interesting to see if when you think about like the his, like history of like leather and like how people were in leather and like how. I mean, I think this is also just indicative of, like, how, you know, things have changed kink-wise, but it was interesting because it was, like, this person who was there who, like, I guess worked there just was kind of just, like, this passive-aggressive white woman who just, like, had this, like, very, like, this energy of just, like, yeah, like, very hostile, very, like, SF, like, gentrifier energy, and um, it was just interesting. as like, even when I was in a specific kink space... You can't help but see it's 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 obviously changed in that way too, right? right? Because again, who has accessibility to be here? Why? Like you know what I mean? Like who like re- can continue to like pay for rent t- to have rent here? Right. Um, I mean, you know, you see a lot of like stuff like south of market like that is still you know rings true. Like if you go to Mister S Leather, but again, like who's who owns it? white gay men like white rich gay men right who's able to buy purchase there i mean what was really refreshing when we went to that shop of that um i don't know like what um how he identifies racially but like he was like a person of color and he'd been there for like decades remember we went and he had that shop and that was like nice and refreshing and like um but you know like when you're there you've got like just good old san francisco energy just super rich people then people who are extremely impoverished walking the streets or, you know, just being ignored. I know I'm getting, like, off topic, but, like, no, you know, yeah, like, it's just, topic, yeah. it's just, like, interesting, like, to see, like, hey, like, this was what this was, and, like, now we, you know, there's that little, those statues, right, like, with the, like, all the bars that used to be there. But it's, like, right next to this, like, bright green, like, headquarters of some tech office. It's, like, so weird. Like, the placement. You remember that? Yeah, I do. Like, it's just interesting to see, like, to have read, like, you know, what it was and what it is now. And, like, just very interesting. And, um, yeah, like, I want to know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, so first, just giving some context to some of the stuff you're shouting out, which is very, like, useful, con- like, things to shout out. So one of those things is like there's like a leather historical walk that you can take in South of Market um, where you can see some monuments uh, to different 
uh, like people and places mm-hmm. that were part of the leather scene. So like they mentioned the toolbox in this uh, part of the essay we were reading. There's a monument to the toolbox. There's actually, I think, a monument to Ruben, if I recall correctly, the mm-hmm. author of this piece. Um, there's also a monument to like the catacombs, which we'll talk about later. The Society of Janus. Society of Janus, like this, yeah, famous, like formerly maybe still like lesbian society. It's the king. Yeah, I think now it's like pansexual. Pansexual. But it, and it's still around, but like, yeah. <clears throat> um, so, so like a lot of cool stuff and you can go look at it, but like you said, it's juxtaposed with like very different surroundings than like mm-hmm. what you associate with leather. And then, um, also like, yeah, there's like probably still in my opinion, like I haven't been everywhere, but the best, like, uh, sh- like in-person shopping for leather that you can do like it with like a fixed permanent location, like mm-hmm. outside of like some convention or something you can you, like actually have like stores that just sell a lot mm-hmm. of leather goods that are like honestly pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Um, uh, like that, like are able to like rent there, but like, yes, also they like are not all run by like white people, but almost exclusively are. Right. Yeah. And also like, you know, who knows, who knows how long they'll be there. Like one of them you're mentioning, yeah, it was run by some, some dude who, you know, wasn't white. Um, and not sure what his background was, but they like they were they had been in business for decades, but who knows how much longer they'll be in business. Yeah. But it was like still like, wow, this is really cool. And you can imagine like when these shops opened in like the seventies and eighties, like what the mm-hmm. community down there must have been like. Like that seems like it must have been an incredible hot spot to to be. Um and also actually like one more thing this reminds me of is like one of my one historical book about the queer community that I really like is this one called Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and there they have the this, like, gender-swapping character who can travel through time uh, named Paul. And Paul, like, goes and is also, like, like, going to these different leather sites in San Francisco at one point. Yeah. Uh, and I really, like, like that part, too. And I was like, oh, this is a fun way to, like, imagine this, like, in the form of a book. So shout out to that book. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you've read it, too. Yeah. So... But yeah, so so I don't know, just like interesting to see those those changes, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. So San Francisco, interesting, interesting place, um, as many have said, and will continue to be interesting. All right, I can read some more from the for this book. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so next we are going to uh, talk a little bit more about different kinds of organizations that were uh, emerging um like during this time that like leather was peaking so i'm like not reading like every single word in this essay and kind of skipping around a little bit um but just like kind of getting to the key points so so uh in the 70s gay men's sm and leather parties reached new pinnacles of organization sophistication and capital investment it's like kind of what you're talking about about spaces so the, the quote-unquote great parties of the 70s were intelligently planned skillfully executed and durable over time. They were locally run, but internationally known and, and attended. Several of these 70s great parties were especially influential. One of the best known was New York's Mineshaft, so it's like talking about like the other, the ones outside of SF2. Mm-hmm. An after-hour sex club that hosted nightly play. It was perhaps the preeminent ongoing leather sex establishment from the time it opened in 1976 until it was closed in 1985. We'll talk more about like why that was so short if you haven't already figured that out. Yeah. Um, another renowned party was the Inferno Run, a weekend in Camden for SM play held annually since 1976 by the Chicago Hellfire Club. I think that's still going on. Yeah, it is. Yep. Attendance at Inferno uh, is by invitation only, and those treasured invitations are extended only to highly regarded players. Finally, 
main topic of this essay, the catacombs opened in 1975 and quickly became a fine and famous, I love that phrasing, venue for fist-fucking parties. Let me say that again. <laughs> a fine and famous venue for fist-fucking parties. That's kind of like what your body is. LOL. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> um, let, me, let me read this, like, asterisk that, that Ruben includes, too. Uh, so, so fist-fucking parties. Fist-fucking is also known as fisting or handballing. It is a sexual technique in which the hand and arm rather than a penis or dildo, are used to penetrate a bodily orifice. Fisting usually refers to anal penetration, although the terms are also used for the insertion of a hand into a vagina. Among gay men, fisters are a particular subgroup who developed a rich set of behaviors and terminologies around their sexual practices. Among these are the following. The manicure. Even before AIDS, fisters took great pains to minimize injury. This required a very complete manicure to ensure the fingernails did not tear rectal tissue. Uh, the douche. For both aesthetic and health reasons, fisters developed a habit of cleaning out the rectum. We all know what douching. Lube. Okay, yeah, top and bottom. Okay, we know we know these terms, but it's just funny that they're <laughs> <specific. laughs> Yeah. Dang. Um. So yeah, so the catacombs was a mecca of handballing, which we just described. Fisters from all over the Western world made the pilgrimage to San Francisco to attend parties at the catacombs. We'll read a little bit more, and then we'll talk about this. Okay. The catacombs was always primarily a place for gay male fisting parties. It was also a place for SM, and over time, the catacombs was shared with other groups, kinky lesbians, heterosexuals, and bisexuals. While it never lost its identity as a fister's paradise, over the years, it increasingly took on a role as a community center for the local SM population. It was a beloved institution. All right, so we'll, we'll pause there right, before we move on to the sad stuff. Yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, what do, you, what, do you think, what do you think about this fister's paradise? I mean... I'm not gonna lie, like, I, <laughs> I would probably have been there for sure, like, you know, for so, uh, oil and all, which I think we'll probably talk about more later, but, mm-hmm. um, you've talked about it a little bit now, Crisco, yeah, Crisco, like, how about you get the reader, the listeners, great, like, a descriptor so, of this picture that we don't have, have personal here. experience, but apparently is a very great lubricant to use, especially when you're fisting, um, so yeah, there's a really cute photo in here, um, and you said you want me to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, you've got the like, I would say sex swing, um, so that you can basically rest your back on it, and so you could be you know in the best position. And then you've got a nice can of Crisco. You've got, um, and then you've got a beautiful mirror so that you can watch yourself getting fisted. Um, so yeah, definitely a Fister's Paradise. I actually so fun fun fact. This picture is like the picture that's on the podcast. If you can like, I remember if, when yeah. you're looking at the podcast, you see like a picture on it. On it, it's actually the picture from this this book um, of the catacombs that you just described. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, super awesome. I think like for me personally, like I always talk to Pennyful about it. Like. Like, I would have just had such a good time. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I probably have been there. Um, but, yeah, I just, I think it was, it's, like, it, yeah, it, it's really awesome that that was there and that, like, you know, it's been recorded and archived. Um, I think that's really valuable. Um, and then I think that um, a part of, when they talked about, at one point, it was a, um you know, it started off kind of being very specific to fisting kind of gay men's space and then became, um, you know, more of a 
a, a community space for SM. Like, I think that that, you know, it's really valuable. And one thing I was thinking about when I was, when you were listening to all of that, you know, what, you know how you have some buildings or some institutions that, like, are deemed, like, of his, I don't know what the correct terminology is, and you might be able to help me out, but it's, like, it's deemed, like, historical value so that it's yeah. protected. So it's, like, this space is mm-hmm. protected. You can't take tear it down. Like, it has mm-hmm. to be, like, whatever. Right? Like, what would it have taken? Like, who would have had, what would it have taken? And, you know, I can think we can think of a real million reasons why it wasn't. It, it isn't considered that, and it wasn't protected in that way. Um, but do you, sometimes I do imagine and think, like, you know, what if, you know, some of these places were protected in that, that way? And, um, yeah, like, just, it's great that we have this information and that it's recorded, but, like, how cool would it be to be able to go to, like, the catacombs, right? Right. Um, kind of, like, you know, like, some, like, not very many, but, like, you know, if you go to, like, some of the older lesbian bars or, like, the very few that are still around and or the older gay bars... You'd be like, shit, like, I'm at Stonewall, right? Right. Like, it was like, hey, I'm at, like, fucking catacombs. Like, that shit would be awesome, right? That but, would be awesome. Yeah. But that would be it awesome. did make me, it kind of made me think about that. And, yeah, I'm curious. Obviously, you don't have to go directly off what I said, but what are your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts on the last passage? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I I completely agree. I think that the, I know that, and, like, I mentioned this in this essay, which I found out about it, but, like, there are like historical other tours that you can do not just like the walking tour we did but also you can mm-hmm. like get on a tour bus in san francisco i think or like something like a Segway, and go by leather sp- site sp- spots so you can still see like where this was but it's not just like a regular building you know right. so there's nothing there and i think it's a great point about historical preservation like um one yeah actually i fun like fun fact is that i um worked with someone who is actually like a leather daddy uh, in like our vanilla job just randomly discovered that and they did a project that like helped document like different historical gay spaces in, in like a major city and i was like wow i feel like that should be done like all over the world like that'd be so cool because yeah. it's just, like they're so ephemeral like this mm-hmm. um but yeah it would have been so cool and it's it's sad that it's not preserved like that and yeah I, I agree i think you'd have a good time i think it's like also interesting like i think one more dynamic that was called out there is how this started as a gay men's space and then also like heterosexual and and lesbian and like bisexual people and other people with sexualities started using it more over time um and i was like that is interesting to me as well because that is uh like as i think about like community's history that's how i see the community's history is having developed as being like a like like bdsm and kink having been a gay men's thing Mm -hmm. that became a thing that was like associated with other sexualities um, more so over time, like, as more people from those sexualities felt more comfortable diving into it and, like, develop more community. Not to say that, like, gay men were the, you know, original people who felt kinky, but I think, like, organized more, like, into community, like, sooner than other sexual mm-hmm. groups um, from, like, what I know. So, like, that was, yeah, just all kind of, like, interesting to, like, think about that transformation there, too. Yeah. And what that must have been like. I know for, like, Ruben, I just looked it up. She, like, she does still apparently go by she, her, which I didn't think. Um, but like she was what you know one of the first people who was in there who was not a gay man at the mm-hmm. like at the time and so like that one what would that have been like to dive into that space and be like cool I'm gonna like be here and be having sex and it's gonna be fine you know like that is like a that's a brave thing to do because like anytime someone is not of the same sexuality as you it's hard to like go and dig cool I'm gonna use this space too it's gonna work out you know so like that's really interesting I wonder what that was like 
Yeah, I mean, and just kind of tagging off on that, I, like, because sometimes I'm like, oh, like, where have been so amazing? But me as a black femme in that space, like, how would I have fared? Who knows? Probably not. But right, exactly. Probably not great, right? Yeah. Um, But, yeah, that does make me wonder kind of about, like, yes, it became that community space, but even you can go to spaces today, like, how, like, you know, yes, people are allowed, but what does that really mean, right? Yes. Yeah, right. What was the, yeah, I'm yeah. sure there was some tension there, you know, like, yeah. there's always some tension. Just, like, even today, if you go to a King community space, which I would say, like, the majority of which, or at least, like, half of which, maybe, are, like, like heterosexual, bisexual dominant. Yeah. Um, like, and are having, like, gay sex, like, how is that, like, treated or whatever? Like, people, like, I feel like we'll be kind of weird about that, and that's why, like, you know, especially, like, gay men and people from that, like, other community tend to like have separate kin communities these days to some extent well not right. completely um but relatively yeah yeah which is kind of wild right mm-hmm. so but yeah it's interesting to think that like about that um history yeah. okay let me read a little bit more about like what the space was like mm-hmm. okay so like let's so first of all um the house where like where was it located so it was located on the south side of 21st street between valencia and guerrero and the person who started it was this guy called steve apparently yeah. uh yeah uh so steve lived in the first floor first floor flat and ran a typing business out of the basement before he began to build a dungeon there that eventually became known as the catacombs um so like by the mid-70s steve's basement was a gathering spot for one group of local fisting aficionados and you're making a little like italian man hand Fist. gesture Fist <laughs> gesture the, the catacombs and then opened officially for weekly Saturday night, Saturday night fisting parties in May of 1975 and Steve held an anniversary party each year thereafter to commemorate the founding of the club that reminds me of like uh, how people like on FetLife now or whatever will just be like I'm having a party like come to my house come to my house come you know this is for this gang bang. yeah basically <laughs> so like but yeah. Steve was really successful yeah good job Pete. Steve yeah and so um, so Ruben attributes this to like, it, the events there were private parties. Like, she says that Steve ran the catacombs with an eagle eye and an iron grip. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What was that iron grip like? Good question. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so she, she says he applied his considerable intelligence to figuring out what made sex parties work and what made them hot. The party technology he developed, very, like, academic language, yes. was so successful that it was adopted by others. And then many kinky San Francisco parties are still run along the similar lines. So... You know, Steve did that. It was not easy to get into the catacombs. Um, as a good host, Steve knew that a successful party depended on having the right people. And to be invited to the parties, you had to be on Steve's list. Um, so, and then to get onto Steve's list, you had to be recommended by someone he knew and often had to be interviewed by him as well. Mm-hmm. You did not have to be a handsome hunk with drop dead pecs or a huge dick to get on the list. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so physical beauty did not go underappreciated there, but the catacombs was not about being pretty. It was about intense bodily experiences, intimate connections, male fellowship, and having a good time. To get into the parties, a person had to be a serious player or a seriously interested novice, and he had to sh- know how to behave at a sex party or show some ability and willingness to learn appropriate etiquette. Steve ruthlessly, 86, I think it's like kicked out anyone who is rude, unable to handle his drugs, or who infringed unduly on the ability of others to have fun. Um, so there's like kind of more about the catacombs here. Like, yeah. okay, so even if you were on Steve's list, you did not just drop into the catacombs. You made an advanced reservation to be admitted to the party. 
A sign on the door said, if you don't call first, don't ring now. Guests were admitted only from 9 to 11 p.m. or a few minutes thereafter. Steve felt that a party would come together better and scale higher levels of exhilaration if everyone was inside and getting settled by 11.30. He did not want the celebrants to be alarmed by the sound of the doorbell ringing all night or distracted by the arrival of new people with strange energy and different timetables for joining the festivities. It's like kind of controlling, but also kind of makes sense, I think. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I thought it was, I think it's kind of cool. <laughs> what, do you, what do you like about that? I kind of, okay, because if I think about when you're in a king space and you're doing something really vulnerable, mm-hmm. if you're mid-scene and, like, you're hearing the, the doorbells, and especially if you think about that time period when police were just, like, mm-hmm. arresting especially queer people, yep. um, I can see it giving you a level of security knowing that it's some rando, rando off the streets not coming in, it, or just, even if it's not rando, like, not... I'm not going to feel like I'm in danger or feel uncomfortable right. in a specific way right. because, you know, someone's like, this is up my ass. If I, if somebody's like coming into the door, like people are just keep coming in. I'm just, I, I mean, Hey, if you're an exhibitionist and that really gets you off great. But for me personally, I would probably get a little taken out of it. Yeah. That makes sense yeah. to me. That checks out. But I get what you're saying about the level of control. Like, but I, I kind of respect that. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense, especially for a privately owned space. And and like you said, for something like fisting, like I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, like, like I, I hear that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, let's hear a little bit more about like what the experience would be like if you were just like walking in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So setting the scene. The door was usually opened by a smiling naked man who let you into a little anteroom, which shielded the main room from cold air and prying eyes. You went into the main room and stepped up to Steve's command post at the end of the bar. There, you checked in and paid your money and your respects to Steve. Steve is really like, part of this process. He's the big boss. Yeah, it yeah. seems like it. He's, uh, what is it, from that Nollywood movie? Big Daddy? Big Daddy, yeah. <laughs> you have to shake his hand? Yeah. Um, next, you looked for an area under the benches to stash your gear, your toys, and your clothes. Nudity was the norm at the catacombs. It's, like, interesting. Mm-hmm. People wore leather harnesses, armbands, jocks, socks, cock rings, or nothing at all. Steve always had the heat turned up. He deliberately kept the temperature warm enough so that naked people would be comfortable and anyone in clothes would be miserably hot. <laughs> I know it smelled crazy in there, but probably like it <laughs> For was, sure. Probably it was kind of oh, fun. Oh, God. But it probably smelled crazy. Insane. Yeah. It smelled insane. Yeah. Steve himself usually started out the evening in a pair of leather shorts with a removable cod piece. That's, like, hard to picture that. That's so funny. I'm just imagining, like, mid, like, night being, like, all right, boys. Like. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. I mean, I remember him most vividly as a tall, very thin, angular presence, snorting poppers and holding court at the end of the bar wearing those tight leather shorts. Yeah. So, uh, for all the Gen Zers out there, like, apparently, like, people were starting pop- snorting poppers before our generation. Like, oh my god, absolutely. That's where it started. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. No, but I'm oh, talking about it. Okay. <laughs> For all the teeny boppers. Yep, exactly. All right, I'll read a little bit more about how this experience. Uh-huh. The front room was a social area of the catacombs. It looked and felt a lot like a leather bar, except that it was more intimate and everyone was nude. An extraordinary collection of male erotic art graced its walls. Fisting was a major theme, no surprises there, as was the history of the le- local leather community. Many of the pieces were actually artifacts of leather bars already by then old and gone, the Why Not the Toolbox and the Red Star Saloon. Steve had a profound sense of the history of his community, 
After I expressed an interest, he took me around and lovingly explained the significance of each relic. That's, like, very cool, I feel like. Yeah, it is. Yeah. The front room contained a bar, although no alcohol was sold at the catacombs. Patrons stashed their beer in the refrigerator, and they helped themselves to the iced, soft drink, and coffee machines behind the bar. The lights were low, the music soft, and the men plentiful. The front was where people would come in, sit down, greet their friends, do their drugs, finish their manicures, and make the transition from the everyday world into play space. It's kind of nice and ritualistic. Yeah. Out front was distinguished from the back. Well. Mm-hmm. In the front room, people socialized, <laughs> smoked, drank, flirted, negotiated, and came up for air. Although there was sometimes sex play in the front, it was uncommon and generally more lighthearted than sex in the back. When two or more people had made a connection and were ready for serious play, they headed for the back. There was no smoking, eating, or drinking permitted in the back rooms. The back was not for casual socializing. The back was for sex. Okay. I love the double entendres here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should I keep going? Absolutely. All right. The back consisted of two rooms, the bridal suite and the dungeon. Do you remember this part? The bridal suite. Yeah, I think you're going to have to remind me. Yeah. Right. The bridal suite was given its name in a commemorative mass brass plaque after the consummation of one particularly notable union on a huge four-poster waterbed that dominated the room. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Now. Yeah. yeah. Many other affairs commenced or were announced on that bed. Stereo speakers had been positioned to aim music directly at the bed. The waterbed was readily visible to much of the party. Waterbeds look so funny. Yeah. Yet its immensity afforded occupants some physical distance from others. It was thus the ideal spot for those public displays of special intimacy. Built-in benches lined the other walls of the bridal suite. These were about three feet wide, covered with foam pads and comfortable to play on. Just past the waterbed was one of Steve's favorite pieces of equipment. It was the top part of a hospital gurney covered with a foam mattress and hung from the ceiling by chains and large springs. Leather stirrups were available for the bottom's legs, and the whole thing could bounce up and down and swing back and forth. Steve loved to sit there with his hand buried in the ass of his current favorite, hooting and hollering and jumping up and down. I'm just trying to picture that. Mm-hmm. Hooting and hollering, jumping up and down. Yeah. <laughs> Top part of a hospital gurney covered with a foam mattress and hung from the ceiling by chains and large springs. Yeah. That's, that's so funny. Yeah. Actually, it's like you have to even take a second to, like, really picture it. Yeah. Like... So, like, I guess my understanding is, so, it was... What's a, what's a, what's a gurney? I'm trying to remember what a gurney is. Gurney is, like, a hospital bed, like, you know, they roll you out on. Oh, gotcha, okay. Mm-hmm. So, it's, like, the top part of that. Yeah, okay, interesting. That makes sense. <laughs> Very medical play. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was, that was crazy. It was hung from the ceiling by chains and large springs. Yeah, that is really crazy if you, like, imagine. Yeah. I guess it was secure. Like, that, like, I know that's, like... Yeah, that's crazy. Like, I just think about that, can you imagine? Yeah. I just love this image of him hooting and hollering and jumping up and down with his hand in someone's ass. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, as a, like, chaotic top, like, I vibe with this energy a little bit. I literally just thought about you doing that. You'd be like, hey. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Kind of like that guy who's, like, big on TikTok right now with the belly. Yes, 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 yes. But just let my hand bounce to get ass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> that's really fun. That's that's fun. Um Yeah. Okay, actually is it well, there's a lot more here. Can I keep reading this or do you Can want you to imagine stop? like do that like yeah. playing like L Alpha? Yes. <laughs> I can too. <laughs> Yeah. 
Okay. Wow. Yeah, there needs to be more Dembo and Kink to mix together. Anyway, <laughs> Dembo Kink. Um. So okay, let's see. So uh. <laughs> so what? Dembo. This is a bunch for Dembo and Kink lovers. Yeah. Right. Please. I saw someone try to actually do start one in in uh, Silver Spring for Soko lovers. Like oh, that's so cute. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's really cool. Alright, uh, okay, finally, all the way- <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't yeah. resist, like, no. <laughs> no, they need one for that, too. Compa be having everyone too horny. For real. That shit's so horny. I don't know. If you, if you, if you or your family were involved in the creation of Compa, like, what have you done to the world? You made everyone too horny listening to that music. <laughs> Alright, um, just, just letting you know. Alright, so, uh, finally, all the way in the back was a dungeon. So that, we didn't even get the dungeon yet. God damn, this yeah. is a space. Honestly, this place sounds lit. Yeah. I just, I'm still stuck on him bouncing with his hand up someone's ass. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Uh, just walking into the dungeon could put a person in a leathery mood. Ooh, okay. That sounds like they didn't moisturize or it sounds good. I can't tell. Yeah. The dungeon had big exposed wood beams and posts. It had a wood plank floor sanded smoothly as baby skin and covered at all times with a thin sheen of Crisco. Wow. Moved it up. The floor was covered with Crisco. Can you imagine slipping on, slipping on that? He <laughs> like landed Whoa. someone's ass. Yeah. <laughs> my, my asshole just landed on his fist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They, they would make TikToks about that. You know when people make those slipping TikToks? Yeah. Like, oh, Whoa. wow, I ended up back at work. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. There were mirrors in the walls and ceilings. Victorian gaslights added a suggestion of 19th century mystery to the general ambiance. That's crazy. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A black iron cage about okay. seven feet tall and two feet wide stood directly opposite the doorway into the dungeon. The cage was bolted to the dungeon floor. Wow. And, and fitted with padlocks. This key was set up at the front of the bar until someone wanted to use the cage. To the left of the cage was, was a suspension hoist. No one was allowed to use the hoist until Steve was satisfied that the person no, knew how to do so safely. Steve was really involved with this. Yeah. This, he, he had a hobby. No one would say he needed a hobby. He had a hobby. It was his... Yeah. His kingdom. Yeah. In the middle of the room, a large wooden bondage cross had been fashioned by adding horizontal beams to one of the support pillars of the house. The cross was a favorite spot for whipping. A uniquely designed padded bondage, area, bondage table stood along the right-hand wall. A U-shaped area cut from the foot of the table enabled the top to step right up to the bottom stick and butt. Oh, cool. <laughs> The usual stirrups were hanging above to help the bottom keep his legs in the air. In the far back were two operating tables, perfect for medical scenes or precision torture. Mattress pads lined the outside walls. The back half of the dungeon was occupied by two rows of commodious black leather slings, one row along each side of the room. Steve had made most of the slings himself, and each one was fitted with the ubiquitous stirrups. To hold cans of Crisco, Big, empty coffee cans were hung by chains next to, next to each sling, like you described. Mm-hmm. The doorless entrance of the bathroom was off to the side near the front of the dungeon. Long towel racks had been installed, and the shower was fitted with a douche, douche hose. Yeah. Patrons were expected to douche at home, but the hose was available for touch-ups and emergencies. There were often several people in the bathroom at the same time. One might be sitting on the hose, another using the john, a third washing up his hands and forearms, and a few more standing around waiting and talking. As a result, the bathroom sometimes had the lighter and more social atmosphere than the rest of the back. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Really cool. Um, 
you know, it sounds like a dungeon, but this, what a great description of a dungeon. Like, I feel like it's very evocative. Right. Yeah. Like, it just, you, like, it takes you there. I'm just thinking about whoever bought this property must have been like, this is crazy. Like, they had a whole ass, like, 15 dungeon installed here. Can you imagine? Yeah, can you? Like, being the property listing agent? <laughs> yeah, like, how do you... Like, the, they had a lot of stuff installed in that private property. Right. That was where yeah. that guy lived, right? It's crazy. Maybe, like, is this... I mean, yeah. I mean, they talk a little bit about it, like you they know, got a cage bolt to the floor. You're not gonna yeah. know too much about that. Like you're gonna yeah. be like, haha. You're gonna be like, what this is, you know? Dang, too bad we were too young. We yeah. <laughs> you said we could have bought it. We should have bought it. <laughs> oh my god. I know. That'd be a good investment. Honestly, sound investment. Yeah. Just in the middle, we just remain there in the South Market. That, like, you know what? Our lazy asses would be like, all right, we're going to do a party like once a month. And otherwise, literally. we'd be like, oh, I'm chilling. You and know? we would not be that involved. No, because like, Steve was like, Steve definitely had some energy that I did not have. Because, you know, I would not want to be chasing around some people being like, are you following the rules? <laughs> that like, was literally Steve. <laughs> Steve definitely had some energy that I don't. Like, I would just be like, uh, yeah, okay, cool, you do yeah. you. Steve probably did a line before, like, every party, though. Steve had to have had so much right like, like, it was just, like, just, like, peak like iced coffee twink energy like you know what i mean like you know where it's just like all right i got my iced coffee let's go steve had that drink from like panera bread before it got released you know the one that makes you caffeinated <laughs> the one where that like large one <laughs> yeah oh my god the one that, that has steve? like 10 times the caffeine of a cup of coffee or something yeah like people have been posting about it steve had that like 30 years early yeah he was like ready he was ready he probably had, like, a special cocktail, honestly. He was sniffing smelling salts, like, every three seconds. <laughs> or he was just sniffing assholes. He said, where's him. my... <laughs> it just, like, it just revived him. He just, like, yeah. he just came alive. He was like, all right, kids, I'm ready. I know this dude had wild energy. This guy, like, had to have been, like... Tripping. All the time. Like, and he was, like... And you know what I mean? Like, not only that, he... Pro- it was, like... It wasn't, like, oh, just the party. It was, like... He had to, like, be vetting people consistently all week. Right. Like, this man had time. And honestly, mad respect to him for this. I'm just, like, I literally do not have that energy. I'm over here taking, like, these, that. like, you see these naps that we take it? Could not be me. Steve could not take naps. Steve did not take naps. Steve was, like, moving. No wonder. Damn. <laughs> all right. <laughs> let's see. Um, all right, so so basically, like, f- from here, it, you know, Gail talks about <clears throat> trying to have a, a convenient place to stick your f- fist in someone's ass, like, mm-hmm. pretty much, and, like, how they use Crisco. You know, sometimes Steve apparently initiated Crisco fights just to loosen up the party. Oh, you know, see, Steve knew it. Strategy. Steve was strategic. What was what's Steve's uh, like sense? I'm very curious. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it's hard to tell. I think we need to look him up. Yeah, it's apparently apparently Crisco is everywhere in this place. Like you got to be covered in Crisco to go in there. Honestly, that's a little nerve wracking because I'm pretty clumsy. Yeah. Like I, I definitely would have accidentally taken down a swing. Me too. I could see you being like, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Just, like, destroy, like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They have brand new music, too, that checks out, like, a dungeon. Or, like, Depeche Mode. Was Depeche Mode even out then? Uh, (laughs) Apparently it was high-energy, sexually suggestive disco. 
Miss Miss Summers, Miss Donna Summers. I, I wonder what it was. Yeah. I wanted, yeah, me too. Yeah. What if somebody had like a a catacombs themed like king party? Yeah, they probably do. But like, yeah, but let's think about who's. Maybe we need to have that party. Uh, yeah, we should do it. <laughs> All right, cool. Y'all we don't be talking party. to enough people. I don't know why we. Let's. We got too many dusty people. We we be vetting people. I know like, we'd be like nope. We'd be vetting people like how Steve does, except we're like nope. None of you made the list. Like we're even more exclusive than this dude was. Us and two people. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently later in the evening, Steve would also switch it up to moodier, darker, and sometimes menacing electronic music that worked better for slow, deep fucking and intense pain trips. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So this is an oasis. Um, so, so like, yeah, there was, this is a good point. So like, uh, you know, Ruben points out that despite the considerable overlap between Fisters and sadomasochists, they were actually separate groups with distinctive social patterns. Like many of the serious sadomasochists thought of Crisco as something that ruined leather. Fair point. Mm -hmm. And some were scandalized both with, by what they perceived as a lack of decorum and formality among Fisters. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, many Fisters were disinterested in SM and some were openly hostile. So if many fisters, SM was at worst a form of brutality and at best a noisy intrusion into the peaceful, meditative atmosphere they saw it. That makes sense. It's, it's also, like, I want to talk about that for a second. Yeah. Like, thinking of, like, um, fisting as meditative. So I've come across some groups on FET about, like, anal being, like, meditative and, like, mm -hmm. fisting being meditative. And I'm just, like... I see it. Mm -hmm. Like, I love mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting because I just never would have thought about it like that. And mm -hmm. I want to know what your thoughts are. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's a good point. Like, I think that what um, Ruben says here is that Steve was into both fisting and S&M. Mm -hmm. And S&M became a bigger part of the catacombs over time, especially as, as the space became more accessible to women and, like, mixed gender groups. And that, to me, that to me just kind of, like checks out where i like i could see fisting is very meditative but i could mm -hmm. also see it as in like an act an sm act too yeah same like i think that like for me like the like pain and forcing aspect is really fun right but also i could see it being meditative and chill so right. I, I could really get with both parts but i wouldn't have a divide which i could see some people having but i wouldn't have a divide between the two i mean it still exists right sure because i mean it i, I mean it's honestly especially when i think about like sensual players versus heavy heavy players sure sure right? and i mean not saying that like fisting is necessarily like this equivalent to sensual bdsm but i do see some like overlap of like heavy players it's like oh those are the heavy players and like right. these are the like you know right we're right. not heavy players yeah right right um okay so we we got some more history to draw on this one yeah like Honestly, like, we we talked about such cool stuff already, but there's more. Yeah. There's more. You ready? Okay. All right. So, first of all, drama. And, you know, this, back at the time, I'm sure this was some drama. Now, I'm, sure, I'm like, cool, whatever. <laughs> so, S Cynthia Slater. So, Cynthia was was uh, uh, part, a big part of the San Francisco leather community, part of the Society of Janus. Mm -hmm. Um uh, or sorry, founded the Society of Janus with other with some other people. That again is that group that was, uh, you know, helping lesbians and also other other sexualities connect with the leather community in the Bay. So she and Steve became lovers by 1977. 
Wow. So they were they were fucking, and mm-hmm. apparently some people were pissed off about this because they were like, "Steve, we thought you were you were one of us." Like, yeah. you know. But yeah. like Steve was like, "No, nah, whatever, sexuality," you know. Yeah. And so anyway, so so. Uh, that more and more women started coming into the space, like as part of this, um, yeah. and also and just generally not men. And um, one of those people is Pat Khalifa, who I'm sure you've heard of. Yeah. Um, and uh, Pat like approached Steve and was like, "We should have a like a women's party at the catacombs." Yeah. So the women's party at the catacombs, which were on Friday nights starting in 1979, June 1st, 1979 was the first one. Um were like probably this this is alleging like one of the events that taught sm lesbians sm lesbians how to party in the bay area mm-hmm. Pat, uh uh gail Rubin says like sm lesbians learned how to party at the catacombs um so like lesbian state masochists were just getting organized and like because they had this connect to the space mm-hmm. that this was like kind of like what helped you know, SM lesbians get organized in the day. Yeah, definitely. So to me, I'm like, that's that's very cool. Like, yeah. it's nice that this fisting space was able to kind of also be like, you know, like not, it sounds like not just uh, for fisting, but also just for like helping organize. Yeah. Like the lesbian, uh, like SM community in the Bay. Yeah. As it was coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really cool to yeah. see. You know, like see and like yeah, that they had this this opportunity for like leather dykes to emerge. And I don't know, maybe we'll get to it. I was wondering if, like, Samoy's, like, had anything to do with this. Or... Yeah, well, maybe we'll get there. So, yeah. so, in 1980, Cynthia Slater and Susan Thorner decided to rent the catacombs on a Friday night for a big mixed-gender, mixed-orientation SM party. Mm-hmm. So that was on March 21st, 1980. And that was the first time a significant number of gay men, lesbians, bisexuals, and heterosexuals partied together in the Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That party was so successful that Cynthia and her co-conspirator conspirator, rented the top two floors of the Hot House, another okay. gay male leather sex sex place, for two more gigantic mixed parties. Um, so just like, you know, context in the Hot House. I'm sure you've heard that name Hot House before, because um, it's still thrown around a lot as like a big name for, sure. for like leather parties. Sure. So the Hot House was another remarkable leather-oriented sexual place located south of Market at 374 Fifth Street between Folsom, Folsom and Harrison. From 1979 to 1983, the Hot House occupied a four-story building and had many specialized fantasy rooms. Um, Louis Gaspar was the primary force behind the Hot House, but many other individuals helped to design and build the customized fantasy rooms. Like the catacombs, the Hot House was a labor of love embodied by a great deal of personalized vision and had its own group of devoted followers. So cool, like, like that. Yeah. That name has stuck around a lot in... Well, yeah, no, I mean, there's been numerous parties. <coughs> I mean, it's just used even in just, like, queer spaces, yep. like, sans kink yep. at this point, which yep. I think is interesting to talk about how, like, yep. kink has is there, but not right. in, like, a lot of ways. Right, but. exactly. So so these these parties that were starting in, like, 1980 seem to me, like, kind of, like, like the, the, early, the beginnings of, like, kind of the kink community that we have today in some ways. Yeah. For I'm sure. sure there are other things happening at the same time, but, like, this kind of coming together of, like, different groups and, like, yeah, over time, maybe it, there's, like, a little bit of a split there, but, like, you know, you can you can pretty much be any sexuality and go to a, an SM party today and people will be like, okay, this is fine in a lot of the big spaces. Mm-hmm. Not totally, you know, like we talked about, but, like, the, like pretty much. I feel like this is, like, cool that it's, like, okay, this is, like, one way that that got started. Definitely. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so... Damn, this is crazy. Okay. All right, so... The golden age of the catacombs ended abruptly. In the early morning hours of, of August 21st, 1981, Steve and Fred... I'm not sure who Fred is, one of the lovers. Lover. Yeah, exactly. Younger lover. <coughs> had been happily cavorting, cavorting on the waterbed in the bridal suite when Steve had a sudden heart attack and died in Fred's arms. So the catacombs basically vanished with, with Steve. Yeah. Steve also left no will. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently the house was actually in the name of close heterosexual friends who had helped him finance the building. And his possessions were reverted to his family of origin. Reason that you have wills. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Just like the trajectory. After. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 Let's get into it. <laughs> So listen to this. Within two yeah. days of Steve's death, the basement was stripped of everything that had been the catacombs. Mm-hmm. The catacombs had been completely dismantled. So that's like within two days, all that history was gone. That's crazy. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Um, so they tried They tried to do some other catacombs, but they never really caught on. Yeah. Um, that, was, that place was iconic in just the way that it was yeah. engineered and how he right. did it. Right. right, right, right. And then part of this, too, is the time... Right, because this is the start of the '80s, and as we know, '80s was a really dangerous time to be doing anal play. Right, exactly. Because of AIDS, um, so you know it's unfortunate, but like that kind of like. Right, and yeah. then you just had that stigma, especially just associated with, because of AIDS with gay men, and then just also people were still being. We're kind of still getting over the fact, getting over that people are being literally just being arrested for being gay in public. So right. If there's any like semblance of that, people are gonna gonna want to erase. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, we, Ruben agrees. Like says, if I were asked what ultimately destroyed the catacombs, I would have to say AIDS, even though it was too simple a response. Mm-hmm. So it's like seems like there's a lot of factors that were at play, like with Steve dying and it getting fragmented and people starting different parties and having different like kind of political motivations. I didn't read all these right. parts, but like there was lots of politics and discussions about who would run what and like mm-hmm. who would be included and stuff like that. But it was like much more fragmented, but then also, yeah, it seems like AIDS was super destructive. Yeah. Um, oh my God, this is a funny anecdote or it's sad too. Um, when the CDC recommended using condoms, someone immediately like provided them like one of the hosts and then one man looked at him and asked what am i supposed to do with these put one on each finger (laughs) so then the next party uh the host handed out shoulder length veterinary gloves Mm -hmm. um but yeah Yeah. i mean it's it's uh yeah yeah but it's also interesting because you can actually fit a fist on like, right. I don't know right. if like you know difference. Right. Like, well, I feel, I feel like you could, you could do that, but also like if you're fisting, it could tear. Too. It could easily tear because you're stretching it so much. Yeah. 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 Um, Good point. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So tough. Tough that this all happened around the time of AIDS. Yeah. Like coming into play, you know, definitely like really kind of killed a lot of momentum there. I'm sure in terms of like the fisting community and like being built out Mm -hmm. but still like i feel like there's so much historical legacy that emerged like from this um and also wild that there is after that place got literally torn apart in two days two days what a crazy thing i think i if i remember correctly it was like his parents like or somebody Mm -hmm. 
uh, had gotten a hold of it and they were like this is we gotta sell this off it was like the straight people and his parents who would like help finance it Yeah. yeah so it makes sense but it's also like damn that's crazy you know yeah. it's just like the what a change in two days sad. i'm yeah. sure the community like had like shell shock mm-hmm. or whatever and then they were like we got to figure out what we're gonna do you know yeah so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so i don't know but i overall like very very cool that happened i think a great testament to to like I'm not sure I really like the, like, one person controlling things. Like, obviously, it has huge failings. Like, if that person dies, then just immediately the event dies, too. Right. And then also, like, just having one person accountable, meaning, like... Yeah. We don't know Steve. Like, yeah, we could say he's a safe player, but we don't really know I don't know, know this dude. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, you could, like, his best friend... Like, for example, you go to him and be like, your best friend can, like, violate my son's son. He's probably not going to be like, my friend's not coming here anymore. Right, right? Exactly. like or like even that you don't we don't know steve like yeah we don't know steve like that it's never it's never in my opinion a good idea to have one person i completely agree i completely agree so yeah i'm not i don't really approve like i understand that ruben is like really positive about sky and i'm sure he was great but like yeah. i also don't really like approve of that personally for like what i would like to see um but also like i should maybe approve someone where like i don't like that mm-hmm. but like also it's like if other people want to do that that's fine so i guess yeah to approve stuff on the wrong word i personally just don't like that yeah, I don't think it's, like, inherently wrong, yeah. but, like, I would say statistically it doesn't go Yeah, wrong. but also it speaks to, like, how, like, part of the problem, part of the problem is, like, leadership. So, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, that was a lot of fun, and, uh, yeah, thank you for joining me to talk about buttholes and things getting stuck inside of them and history. My pleasure always happy to do that i'd love to talk more about kink history leather history with you you know if you want to have me all right sounds good sounds good (laughs) yeah all right bye everyone uh we'll put some stuff in the show notes